everyone in the world who you are who would you choose if you could have four people tell everybody in the world who you are what would they say would they call you a sister a brother would they call you a teacher would they call you a police officer would they call you a student, what would it be? What would they describe you as? And then, would it be sufficient to understand who you really are? Myths would abound centuries later if people tried to understand someone describing who we are today. So, that's what's going on here in chapter 3 as we entered chapter 3, section 2 last night. There are two classic myths in Western culture that Nicholas Tom, N.T. Wright, talks about. And those two classic myths are a classic Western conservative Christian myth and a classic modernist myth. So, you're listening to Lighthouse Podcast with Ty Nickel, and I want to pose that question as we look into chapter 3, section 2, and learn about these myths that he's talking about and how they are inadequate for describing who Jesus is, let alone you and I. Welcome to Lighthouse Podcast. chapter 3 last night, titled The Perfect Storm. And I want to read the first paragraph here under the heading, Two Jesus Myths. We talked about N.T. Wright having two different myths that are prevalent in Western culture, uh, or Western Christianity, and those are the idea of being conservative, according to him, and modernist, according to him. So I want to read the second paragraph in that section because I think it's important for us if we have not been able to keep up with the book and you're keeping up with the podcast that you'll understand where we're coming from when we talk about these things and are trying to dissect them. So welcome again to the podcast. I'm glad that there are many of you that listen uh, in Florida uh, in Illinois, in uh, on the coasts, and other places. And thank you for 
um, letting us know uh, that you've been listening. I appreciate that. And we're going to be getting into some more of uh, this book, Simply Jesus, as we move along in our Wednesday night classes, which was last night. And we did have a good uh, discussion. Uh, there were many uh, that had very good observations and very good thoughts. And I want to try to incorporate all of that, if we can, into today's episode. Uh, if I don't, please forgive me. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to streamline it as best we can for chapter three. Um, chapter three is one of those chapters that leaves questions hanging in the air. And he doesn't really, Tom Wright, doesn't really get into the meat of everything in chapter three, but rather uh, starts maybe disassembling or probing. And this seems to be one of those things that he does in this uh, paragraph. So he says, here we find the classic Western Christian myth about Jesus, which is still believed by millions around the world. In this myth, a supernatural being called God, quote-unquote God, has a supernatural son, quote-unquote, whom he sends, virgin-born, into our world, despite the fact that it's not his natural habitat, so that he can rescue people out of this world by dying in their place. As a sign of his otherwise secret divine identity, this son does all kinds of extraordinary and otherwise impossible, quote-unquote, miracles, crowning them all by rising from the dead and returning to heaven where he waits to welcome his faithful followers after their deaths. In the Catholic version, he says, of this classic Western myth, Jesus calls his close friend Peter to found the church. Anyone who wants to be with Jesus here or hereafter must join Peter's movement. In the Protestant version, Jesus commissions his followers to write the New Testament, which reveals the absolute truth about Jesus and, once more, how to get to heaven. So this is that first paragraph where he uh, tends to summarize the first myth, which is the classic Western Christian myth, which is a uh, conservative idea is what he's saying. So <clears throat> not in a sense of a political sense necessarily, but in this idea that there is a conservative label attached to this, maybe we'll have to dig into that a little bit more in, in following episodes. But here, there's probably many who are going to say, well, why why is any of that which was said or which you read, Ty, which, which of those things were myths? All of those things are real. And I think that what he is getting at is the idea of he's compiling, a, he's making a story. And in my best attempt at this point in the episode to help us understand what he might be talking about is kind of like a superhero. In other words, there are sometimes people view Christianity as a superhero type of um, episode or an event where the superhero came from a far world, kind of like Superman and then he rescued us all and in some ways or gave us an opportunity of rescue um, 
let's say built a, a ship and we're all he's all and he goes back to where he came from and he's just waiting for us to all get in the ship now there are elements that of course of that that are true or ring true in our ears uh, but the idea <clears throat> that this Jesus or God merely came to uh, earth to just rescue people and wait for them in a place called heaven is not what N.T. Wright is saying is actually the biblical story. So what I had uh, everyone do yesterday was I, I wanted everybody to, to, I wanted about three or four people to volunteer. And I said, I'm just going to put your names up on the whiteboard and so three or four people volunteered, and then I had tables of uh, people literally tell me who the people were. So in other words, three or four four people in, in total were chosen, and I just wrote each of their names up there. And for the sake of those who are listening in, in different areas and who don't know what we did last night or don't know these people, I'll just say, <clears throat> I'll just say, um, Ronnie, Bobby, <laughs> you know, you, you, you'll get the idea, uh, Ricky and Mike. Uh, so you have this idea, uh, I'd say, who, who is, okay, this table, who is Ronnie? And uh, some would say, well, he's, a, he's so-and-so's husband. And some would say, well, he's uh, a father. And then some would say, well, uh, he works here. Or whatever, and then <clears throat> we had descriptions for each person uh, in that way as we went around the room and had each people or each name ask the same question. So who is so and so? Who is so and so? So about three or four descriptions were written for each person, and then I made a a, a joking. Uh, it was probably a a hard sarcastic note to understand, but uh, my sarcasm is not always uh, easily um, understood. So <clears throat> the, the sarcasm was, as I said, okay, I'm going to use exactly what I have here on the whiteboard, and I'm going to just copy and paste it to our congregation's website. And no one really reacted because my sarcasm or my satire or whatever is, is difficult at times. Because they don't know where I'm going. And <clears throat> I think that everyone was kind of like, what? And so I asked, before we started, I said, "No, how come no one's objecting? And obviously, um, they didn't know where I was going, so they wouldn't object. But the idea is, is that if we ask that about Jesus, who is he? Um, we could say, well, he was Mary's son. Or we could say that he is... Um, uh, he was a great teacher. Or we could say that he did miracles. In, the, in other words, I think that we're beginning to get this idea that if that is, if we're going to distill Jesus' life, his purpose, his identity into just a few statements, then that's why we probably have contempt for the Gospels. Because I had, as I had about three or four people uh, speak to each uh, and, and try to describe each person, uh, each person's name that I had 
written up on the whiteboard, what if I had written Jesus's name up there? Well, we do have four uh, people that have compiled accounts and have given us an understanding of who Jesus is, and those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are key to our understanding what Jesus is all about and who he is and what he was up to. And I want to lead with this idea before we take a little break. I want to lead with the idea that in the end of Matthew's gospel, you have this idea where Jesus says to his disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, I believe, all authority has been given to me. In other words, any all heavenly authority, any, any authority that God has, has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus is in charge, in other words. Now, our culture doesn't really look at Jesus as being in charge of anything. We tend to look at Jesus for the hero he is. Uh, we tend to look at him as a superhero, um, which he is. But he, we tend to look at him and frame him or distill him or reduce him into that kind of Superman figure. And so we appreciate it, but we really don't know who he is because he seems to live in some otherly world place, and we're glad that he did what he did in history, um, but it's really, really, we don't really have any other idea of what's going on. And the Gospels don't speak like that. The Gospels speak to the fact that Jesus did not just appear out of nowhere, do something to save the day, or save the, you know, entire time, history, and then escape or leave and ask us to, you know, escape at some point with us. No, Jesus came to be in charge. Now, the problem with what we have is what we are not going to be able to get into at the moment, is the, is the problem of what it looks like for Jesus to be in charge. Because in our world, <clears throat> even right now, uh, no matter if it's good or bad in our lives, uh, it doesn't always look like Jesus is in charge. And so this is why, uh, one of the reasons why, we're asked to walk by faith. Uh, not by blind acceptance of something, but by uh, an understanding, a realization of something. Uh, that is not otherwise seen in our world uh, and are not understood in our world. So much of the world, most of the world, does not understand who really is in charge. They really don't even understand who is creator. And they don't understand that the creator actually became a human being and there was a reason for him dying on a Roman cross. And it wasn't only to save 
us from our sins and rescue us from the penalty of idolatry and sinfulness. But it was also to demonstrate who was in charge at that time and has always been and will always be in charge. And so we have some interesting questions in the Gospels that we could ask, but I'm not going to ask them at this time. So I want to end this segment, not this episode, but this segment, with what N.T. Wright will say right after he speaks that paragraph. And he has it in parentheses, and he says, Already I hear that wind getting up. And he says, it's like somebody saying, what do you mean it's a myth? Don't you believe that? Are you one of those dangerous liberals after all? Aren't you a bishop? And then he says, okay, okay, I hear you. Please wait. Patience is a Christian virtue. So he's going to begin then talking about the second myth, which we'll talk about in our second segment. to talk about the second myth, uh, the new classic modernist myth. So, like last segment, why don't we read, and I'll give you some of the uh, info that we had in class last night, and that will help us to understand, especially if you don't have the book. Uh, if you can get a book, or if you need a book, uh, let me know. Okay, the second myth, N.T. Wright says, prevalent in the skeptical Western mind of our perfect storm, is the new classic modernist myth, which is widely believed in secular society and in several mainline churches, too. In this new myth of Christian origins, Jesus was just an ordinary man, a good first century Jew, conceived and born in the ordinary way. He was a remarkable preacher and teacher, but he probably didn't do all those miracles. Some people have, seem to have felt better after meeting him, but that was about it. He certainly didn't think he would die for the sins of the world. He was simply trying to teach people to live differently, to love one another, to be kind to old ladies, small children, and that blessed postmodern category, the marginalized. He was talking about God, not about himself. The idea of being a supernatural son of God never occurred to him. He'd have been horrified to hear such a thing and even more to have had a church founded in his memory. He certainly didn't rise from the dead. Yes, his followers, feeling that his work would continue, used careless language that seemed to imply that that's what had happened. But of course it didn't. Then these followers began to tell stories about him that snowballed into legends, which then sprouted fresh interpretations. The Gospels we now have in the Bible are the product of that free-floating and perhaps self-serving inventive process. They tell us a lot about the new aims and agendas of the early Christians, 
and about how the new and about how they settled down and adapted the original message of Jesus to different circumstances. But if we want to find out about Jesus himself, we have to work our way back through the fog of subsequent hero worship and, above all, through the process by which he was divinized. We might even need to call on some of those other Gospels, the ones that the ones that boring old Orthodox Christianity left out of its canon. So here is the second summary by N.T. Wright of that new classic modernist myth about Jesus. So many of us uh, would not identify with that. Some of us might. But you have the, again, a polarization, it seems like, where it doesn't seem like so much matters in the second myth about who Jesus was. And the first myth seems to be something of a of a more factual understanding of Jesus, and that's all that we care about. As long as it happened, we're happy with that. In fact, Wright goes on in his um, consequent, uh, subsequent paragraphs talking about that. And he even says this. He says, The underlying problem with both of these myths is that they pose the question in the wrong place. First, did it all happen or didn't it? This is the plain, blunt question of a typical 18th century Westerner. No frills, no metaphors, no interpretation, just facts. Did it happen or not? The conservative or orthodox brigade, driven onto the back foot, that's a cricketing metaphor for what happens when the bowler sends down a hostile delivery, marshals its forces to say, yes, it really did happen. And there the matter ends. Those in the liberal or skeptical brigade shrug their shoulders and say, no, it didn't really happen, or not much of it anyway. Again, that's the end of it. Facts or no facts. But what about meaning? So what we have here is a, and he has another question that goes along with it, which is related. Uh, so was Jesus the Son of God, or wasn't he? And for most people, they're going to have a problem with understanding what Son of God means. And so this is more of the complexity that Wright is trying to steer us into to understand and uh, clear up. So we have the two myths, the conservative Christian myth, which seems to be driven uh, by the idea that people want the facts. And I don't remember the old TV show that um, used to, the, the investigator uh, um, detective used to say, just the facts, ma'am. I, I don't know who that was. Humphrey Bogart? I'm not sure. You can correct me on that. Uh, but that seems to be what we have in society where we're interested in, did it happen or not? And if it did, then that's the end of our discussion. And so that would be an example of an extreme reaction to the Gospels. And the other extreme version would be, we don't really care if it happened or not. Maybe some of it. What's important is, what does it mean for just me all of the time? So in other works of N.T. Wright and other um, authors that are in 
very influenced uh, by this topic about kingdom and what that means. We have this idea of the work of the kingdom versus the theological understanding of the kingdom. And you have a lot of, they, they both are needed, but you have a lot of um, influences with uh, churches in, in all kinds of different places, whether they are more uh, into just maybe the theological understanding of it, uh, and sometimes not very good at that, and then sometimes you have those who are just into the working aspect of it, the doing of it. And some are pretty good at that, and some aren't. And then the idea that we're probably trying to get into later uh, in a different series would be how how to combine our understanding of all of this. In other words, what's the application? Uh, what's the understanding of Jesus being king of heaven and earth? What does it mean for him to have all authority on, on in heaven and on earth for us? And what does that look like? Uh, we shall try to certainly dissect that question as well, or that idea. So what we have are two Jesus myths. We have two Jesus myths, one a, a classic modernist myth that would be under the skeptical Western mind category, and then we have the classic Western Christian myth about uh, Jesus, which is believed by millions, about mainly being like a superman. And so e neither of these really deals with what the Gospels deal with. And so this is our hanging question. And this is where we are lingering right now in the book. And this is, there are a lot of things that are probably nagging in our minds as we read these things because there's really no answers yet that he's going to provide for us in this chapter. Really what he's going to do is just talk about the problem of historical complexity in the next segment, which will be our next class next week, and then we're going to get into uh, the idea of the hurricane or the idea of what's going on in Jesus' mind, and he calls it the making of a first century storm. So what I want to do is intrigue you with what we've been going through, because all of these questions are going to come into play. All of the thoughts that you've had about these so far are going to continue to be in play as we continue to read and examine what he is saying, what Wright is saying, about what the Gospels are making claims to and what we believe they're saying. So again, what I want to do is challenge us to think about a question that I posed in one of our earlier episodes, which was, why did Jesus die? Now, we can answer that in, in several different ways, but I think that we tend to, if we are involved in uh, churches, uh, if we have been involved in church work, we tend to have an immediate theological response to that and say, well, he died for the sins of the world. And that would be absolutely correct. What we need to understand is, <clears throat> is that he also was killed by Romans. That's how he died. That's why he died too. 
And in other words, he he wasn't he didn't die in a, uh, a a different way, an ordinary death. He died by crucifixion by the hands of the Romans, and he was arrested by Jews who handed him over to the Romans. And so we have a very compelling question there about what was the purpose of his death. Yes, it was for the forgiveness of sins, but yes, it was because he was supposed to die a revolutionary type death so that we could understand that he is king and that he is he's going to be resurrected. Now, if you uh, kill someone um, and, and, that, and use your, your greatest weapon, uh, your greatest uh, propaganda to do that, and then they come back from it and it, does, it doesn't, didn't work. Uh, then you have something else that we know inherently, but we may not think of, is that th- this guy can't be stopped. So if he can't be stopped, who is he? If he's a bad guy, we all need to be worried. If he's a good guy, we all have some very good reasons to be happy. And so we understand Jesus from the claims of the Gospels that his death, burial, and resurrection indicate not that he's a bad guy, he's not a magician, but not that he not that he's just proving that you can actually pass on into the afterlife because he was resurrected uh, in a physical body, a new physical body, and this proves that what he said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and following, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. In other words, he is the emperor in the days of Rome, and he continues to be the ruler today. However, we want to call that, whether he's president or whether he's governor, whether he's a, a king, whether he is a uh, a prince, whatever we want to use, whatever term we want to use to convey authority or sovereign, that's who Jesus is. And that's what we need to continue to dissect and learn, especially as we read uh, Tom Wright's book, Simply Jesus. And it's going to get, I think, incredibly fascinating as he begins to bring us more and more detail uh, into this picture of what was going on with Jesus, especially during his ministry, and what this all is supposed to be understood as, uh, especially from first century minds, which we have to figure out what they could possibly have been thinking. And what we're going to have to do is use our Bibles to do that, because that's what they used uh, to try to understand, and they failed. But Jesus had to reteach them, and the Gospels are four books that are going to help us understand exactly who Jesus is. And so that's the reason I think that we should be so excited. Until next episode, thank you for listening. I really appreciate the fact that you listen and the fact that we can do this together in this way. Lighthouse Podcast. See you next time. This is Ty Nickel.